Hi, Ruth. Hi, Josephine. How are you going? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Um, welcome to My Favourite Musical. Well, thank you for welcoming me to My Favourite yeah. Musical. Uh, yeah. It's really good to I, be here. Uh, I figured you needed um, welcoming since it's our sort of second first episode. Yeah, it's weird. Um, and we're not in the same room, of course, so that's also no. a bit strange. Um, yeah, our second first episode. Sort of. It's um, we're in the middle of a global pandemic, so that's fun. You know, that's uh, that's really entertaining for all of our lives right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, the memes have been good. <laughs> yeah. If if not for the total destruction of like Life. lives and economy and yeah, you know, yeah. it's a golden age. All of that internet, sort of thing. As I keep saying. But, but certainly, it seemed the right time to start a podcast again. Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm consuming podcasts at like an insane rate. And I, I know there's hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, but I just can't seem to find content. Like I've just, I've listened to everything. (laughs) Well, it's interesting for me because I've gone from having a three hour commute to not having a commute. So I would say that if anything, mine has very slightly decreased my listening, but then I am still wanting, you know, more and more podcasts because it's just a really easy way of you know, having that, like having, feeling like someone else is in the room, yeah, which that's it. aside from my husband and dogs, there's no one else. So do you listen you know. to them? Like when you do housework and stuff? Yeah. Heaps. If, if ever I'm doing something that doesn't require a visual connection, yeah. then I'm listening to a podcast. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It used to be like Cooking, when I was younger, cleaning. I used to put the TV on as like background yeah. noise, but now it's all yeah. podcasts, exclusively podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And also like, I actually don't listen to music that much mm. at those times or driving, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's basically just podcasts and sometimes they're musical theatre themed podcasts. So it's still, you know, what I would be listening to. Yeah. That's but, interesting. Uh, See, I yeah, can't, like but, Shane refuses to listen to a podcast like out loud with me. So if he's around, I have to put music on because he will yeah. like, inevitably come in halfway through a podcast and we'll be like, what is this? Why am I hearing about people yeah. being decapitated? Yeah, my husband's the same. It's it's, and that's mostly the opportunity we would have is when we're driving. Yeah, but yeah. yeah he would much rather us much rather us listen to music than listen to a podcast together. Oh man, um, what do but, they know? Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, a lot of podcasts. I will listen to music when I'm working um, because I can't. You can't be distracted. Of, yeah, exactly. Um, and whereas, yeah, if I was listening to a podcast while working, I would. I couldn't focus on those two things at the same time, yeah. but I will listen to music a lot when I'm working. But yeah, aside from that, it's pretty much all podcasts all the time. So this is just a long way of saying podcasts are really awesome and that's why we're here. And also thank you to the people who are podcasting right now because you're helping 100%. us. <laughs> 100%. And it really hasn't changed the way that most of those podcasts no. exist and happen. I haven't really felt a big difference, to be well, honest. Even like just basic production values, I haven't felt a change in no. production no, values. No, I agree. And like, obviously, like we're doing right now, we're on Zoom right now. Um, so we can yeah. see each other physically, which is fine. Like, that's all I, I really need. I that's right. I, I mean, I'd love to, to hug you, but unfortunately we don't have that yeah, tough. right now. And also, I'm not much of a touchy <laughs> person, so it's perfect. Oh, uh, you like hugging me, so that's fine. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, we touched on it in our what we're calling our pilot episode which oh, was yeah. recorded 14 months ago God, was uh, it that long? Was and it then really life got long? in the way but you know we're back now Jeez. um 
But essentially the concept of my favourite musical is that we love musicals and we want to tell each other about our favourite shows, right? Yes, yes. I think when we we talked about maybe doing a podcast because we love them so much, this was just, of course, we would talk about musicals because this is how we met. We met doing a musical. We love watching and listening to musicals. We're huge nerds. Um, And we both are sort of... Just the biggest nerds. Yeah, we also sort of have qualifications that are... (laughs) are applicable to this podcast. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Josephine's a music and drama teacher, entertainment teacher. I work in sort of arts administration. It it, it is all part of our lives on a daily basis, even when we're not just consuming it in our, (laughs) you know, spare time or performing, you know. Yeah, uh, performing as well. That's right. Yeah. I love us. Yeah. Um, So, who are you, I suppose? Yeah. So, uh I'm Ruth. Um, I'm in, I'm 32, soon to turn 33. Hopefully the pandemic will be somewhat, Mm, you know, maybe not as strict by the time I turn 33, but we'll see. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, uh, I work, I work for a big merchandise company. So like if you go to a show and you want to buy a t-shirt or a program, you know, in Australia, there's a good chance the company that I work for has produced that. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, we had 40 shows running around the world until mid-March. Within a week, all of them had ground to a halt. So right now, you know, work's a bit tenuous. But uh, yeah, I've been there for more than 10 years. Um, and uh, yeah, it's great. It's a great job. I love it. I can't wait for shows to be able to start back up again. And um, the, you know, the industry that I love and the community that I love to get on with performing and you know, bringing that joy to others. Because mm, um, it's not like it's not just your job either. Like it is your livelihood, but also this is sort of your life as well. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. You know, I uh, I literally like eat, sleep, and breathe musical theatre. Mm. I couldn't imagine my life any other way. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's and that's honestly like that's pretty much me. I live with my husband and now two dogs, Elton and Ziggy, who are adorable and yeah, they're um, so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> And I've known Josephine since we were like 15, 16 years old. Yeah. And what about you? Well, I'm Josephine. Um, I hope our voices are different enough to be recognisable. I suppose Mm. they are. Anyway, I'm Josephine. And not too annoying like everyone (laughs) seems to find female voices annoying. (laughs) Yes, if I hear one more comment from my husband about my favourite musical, my favourite podcast, I should say. Um, Uh, Anyway, uh. yeah, I'm Josephine. I... um, I am 31 and yeah, I met Ruth when I was, I think 14, maybe even younger. I actually think I may have been 13, but um, yeah, um, I am a performer at heart and I, like I trained in music theater and didn't really make it. So I'm, you know, I'm on the fringes, I suppose. And I teach music and drama and entertainment at a high school, which is just awesome. And yeah, I live, I really live performing uh, my husband is a filmmaker and an actor, mostly on screen, but we met um, performing on stage. So it's sort of like the... Do you want to tell everyone who you're playing? I feel like that's pretty important <laughs> yeah. information. <laughs> we, yeah, that's okay. It's such a... Anyway, um, I was... It was a production of The Sound of Music that we did and I played Maria Von Trapp and he played Captain Von Trapp. And we met during that production and I thought at first that he was a huge douchebag because he probably was, to be fair, but he's really handsome. So I just got past the douchebagness and (laughs) no, he's a wonderful guy, but, um, yeah, yeah. So music theater is really my life, I suppose. Like it, it's just been the center of everything. And, um, 
Yeah, I live, or we live, both Ruth and I live um, sort of north of Sydney on the central coast of New South Wales, Um, you know, we're pretty isolated from the rest of the music theatre world here. Like Australia is not sort of the centre of music theatre and Ruth gets to go um, overseas a lot more often than I do, don't you? But we're sort of like on this fringe, the fringe of musical theatre really globally, which is a Yeah, I mean, I'm very lucky that, um, you know, under normal circumstances I get to go overseas for work a couple of times a year Mm. um, to London and New York and essentially... Uh, of, I mean, I had a trip that was booked. I was supposed to leave on the 17th of April and, you know, that got cancelled in early March. And at the time we thought, oh, we're being, you know, we're being, we're such, we're overreacting so much and cancelling this work trip. And of course now, you know, it's, it's obviously nothing's running and no. there's no flights. And, Even if you could you know, though, like, would you go, go to New York right now? You totally wouldn't. No, I, w- I wouldn't. No, <sighs> no, definitely not. And who knows when shows will restart everywhere. But, you know, obviously America's very badly affected, especially compared to Australia in terms of the number of cases and deaths. It's just heartbreaking. It's just just awful. Awful, awful. And so many, like, I've – because I follow a lot of sort of my favourite actors on um, Instagram and a lot of them live in New York and they're just really, like, fully isolated but also just, like, their friends and their families are all at risk and people are losing losing people and uh, it's just awful. Lots lots of Broadway performers have have had it. I mean, like, you know – Tap on wood, you know, not, no current Broadway performers have died as yet, but, you know, it's like, a hu- I mean, like huge swaths of certain casts have been diagnosed and, yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Of course, of course it's going to go Scary. around a cast very quickly when they were still performing, you know. People are very yeah, in close sure. quarters and, yeah, absolutely. <sighs> so, well, um, yeah. Sorry to be, that's a bit of a downer. It's just a downer time, hey, but like this is supposed to be a bit of fun for us and a bit of fun for whoever is listening because uh, musicals are just joyful at the core, right? Like it's all about joy. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, we felt like, you know, we've got something to say about them. We've got, you know, often the same and differing opinions on different shows and, um, you know, we just sort of wanted to talk about why we love certain shows and what's interesting about those shows and, you know, hopefully you guys can get something from that as well. Yeah. So um, in our pilot episode, we both tackled a Sondheim show and what are we are we still because those, those are our actual favourite shows. Are we still tackling yeah. Sondheim? Because we could, I mean, we could keep going on for Sondheim forever. <laughs> we really could. And <laughs> honestly, yeah, so in our pilot episode, both Josephine and I picked what are our actual number one, top of the list favourite musicals in the world. And um, Josephine did Sunday in the Park with George and, and I did Into the Woods. And, um, you know, look, I'm sure we'll end up, you know, with some other Sondheims down the list because, of course, he's our god but in the meantime you know we're trying to Break you know up. not be so predictable musical theater nerds and do sondheim every week <laughs> uh, it is such a predictable thing hey like we're so high yeah. brow music theater we just we're, love yeah sondheim. yeah <laughs> but he really yeah, is awesome absolutely. anyway do you want to go first today Sure, sure. So uh, this episode, I'm going to talk to you a bit about Jesus Christ Superstar. Yes, Ruth. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so Jesus Christ Superstar is. Firstly, I'll just tell you a little bit about what the show is about. I mean, that's fairly simple with Jesus Christ Superstar. I mean, it essentially it's a rock opera. It takes place over the last week of Jesus's life. Um, you know, it is loosely based on the Gospels of the New Testament, but often people just basically say, like, it's a, 
a rock opera version of a passion play, like the passion plays that were, you know, often um, performed by ch- the Catholic Church and different um, churches over the years. And sometimes people refer to it as the gospel according to Judas because it's sort of essentially his it's often, you know, it's told from his point of view. Um, and he, yeah, and that's obviously not something that actually exists in the Bible. So that's sort of a way that people can communicate you know that, that idea. Did. Do you know what you, like it is. Oh, really? Like he had a. Yeah. Well, like I think, and this is me like as a Catholic from way back, not practicing now, but I'm sure there was like, it was like taken out of, because there's heaps of books that did make up the Bible or could have made up the Bible that they took out or like added in in different Wow. Versions. So there's like apparently this lost gospel of Judas, but yeah probably all bullshit yeah anyway. <laughs> I mean I know it's funny like uh, like you know you were brought off up obviously a lot more religiously than I was but this was this and Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat were like my essentially some of my only like religious knowledge of, <laughs> of different parts of the of the bible stories just because I loved the musical so much and didn't really have much other knowledge of you know those stories in the bible that in the book of ruth because i knew that my name was you know um like the a book biblical of ruth is reference beautiful. so that's a nice yeah, book yeah okay it yeah. is a good one so i just so. quickly googled it and yes like apparently it's a thing right it's like the lost gospel of judas yeah wow I mean, not that it's necessarily still this show, but... No, uh, I'm sure it's not. Yeah. Um, So the reason that I selected this show, this was a a show, you know, I had this show on cassette when I was a kid. I had it on cassette in my Walkman, you know, listening to it all the time. It's one of those sort of shows I listened to from a really young age and always loved. And it was also, I would say it's definitely by far my favourite Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. Um, I feel like, like, you know, obviously we all have our favourites of different composers and, you know, I'm sure for a lot of people that's Phantom or whatever, but, like, for me, Jesus Christ Superstar is heads and above my favourite ALW show, like, um, by far. Um, I saw it in 1994 so I was seven years old when I saw it uh in Sydney and um I also saw it there was a production in 2013 uh that was the sort of the UK tour uh version like it was like an arena version came to Australia um and that was the one with Tim Minchin and um you know, and Mel C from the Spice Girls. Um, so random. You know, it was, yeah, it was Mary. And uh, Ben Foster was Jesus and he won, uh, like, a, there was a reality show held to find Jesus in the UK. Um, and he won that to, uh, yeah, to play Jesus in that tour, which then came here. Was he good? Um yeah, look, he was. And I've, I I will say I've seen him in other roles on the West End and I actually think he had more to bring to those other roles than mm. necessarily than Jesus. But he was, I mean, he's a very talented performer, you know, no question about it. Mm. Um, the sort of the issues that I had with his performance are just literally to do with um, like his his voice and the way that he tackled Jesus, which, you know, I'll talk about a little bit, is actually kind of my general issue with almost all productions and recordings of Jesus Christ Superstar mm. is just not the way I sort of hear it sung in my head, um, which is essentially that, you know, musical theatre performers do it now, whereas back in the day it was, it rock, was rock singers. Yeah. 
And so when a musical theatre performer does it, it's it's very much like a lot of falsetto as Jesus, you know, a lot of, and it just doesn't have the power yeah. and the grit that these rock singers in the 70s did, you well, know. You and that's too, like the character of Jesus, there's a lot of angst there in that last week. Like there's got to be some angsty moments. Like he's not some sort of yeah. calm, peaceful, falsetto-loving dude. Like he's cranky yeah. for most of it. So yeah, and and it's I mean falsetto it's it's such a hard thing for I think for men to have that like a really sort of um, colourful falsetto that has like grit and power to it, and that's not a criticism. That's literally just how men's voices are, you know. Yeah. And 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 obviously if they're doing musical theatre. They haven't necessarily trained their falsettos to be like that anyway. So, you know, it's it's it, it, it's not a criticism of them because that is the way that the show is often performed nowadays. But personally, it's not something I prefer listening to or seeing the show. So are you talking um, about loving John Farnham? Yeah. So, like, I'll just talk about that for a second. So, um, well, let's go back quickly. So, that, so I don't know if you knew, but basically, you know, this show started as a concept album before it was a show, which was a, a real trend, you know, back in those days, you know, chess was the same. Um, in 1970, this concept album was recorded and uh, that was in the UK. They recorded that. And that was like, you know, Ian Gillen um, played Jesus, who was like, you know, Deep Purple, Ian Gillen, and basically – and. Uh, yeah, it basically was like this huge success. So it was literally in 1971, it was the top selling album, uh, Billboard number one album in 1971. Like it beat Carole King's Tapestry, you know, like it's, wow. it, it was insanely successful. Yeah. That's you know, crazy. And it was number one for weeks at a time and, Jeez. you know, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, Murray Head was Judas, you know, who also performed One Night in Bangkok on the Chess Concept album and, uh you know, his brother was in Buffy. You love Buffy. I love Buffy. Um, That's he and, um, for those fans out there. Yeah. And um, Yvonne Elliman was uh, Mary and she went on to play Mary in the original Broadway production as well. Um, so, yeah, so it goes to Broadway in 1971 uh, and it's, opened at the Mark Hellinger Theatre, which, interestingly enough, isn't a theatre anymore. is isn't a working Broadway theatre anymore, but it does still exist. It's now the Times Square Church. So it's a church that's in the Times Square area that literally, like, has this entire theatre still inside it that they've just given they've given this lease to this church, the, the, the theatre owners. And so, yeah, it's still a theatre. It still exists all in there, but like a church runs it. So it hasn't had a show in there since I think the early 80s. Um, or I could be getting that date wrong, but I know that um, Peter Allen's Legs Diamond was an ill-fated fated, uh, production um, was the last show to play there before it turned into the church. So, uh, yeah, so it, that original production was in 1971 and it – They've since had revivals in 1977, 2000 and 2012, the longest of which lasted for five months. Like it hasn't been a super successful sort of Broadway um, name, but it has been very successful like on tour in America. Like it, I guess it's one of those shows where it tends to, yeah, play better to regional centres than it does in like the big major cities kind of thing. It's a crowd-pleasing show. I wonder why. Uh, rather than like. Yeah, it, Considering, it's a good question. I mean, considering how long, like, Phantom has run on Broadway, 
that yeah. Jesus Christ doesn't. I don't know. That's that's really weird to me. But maybe because like yeah. you, this is also my favorite Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah. Mm. And so um, after, so even the fact that it opened on Broadway rather than in London, like obviously Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice are British. So like even that was quite a big deal at the time that it opened on Broadway before it opened in London. Uh, but it opened in London in 1972 and it ran for eight years in London. And that was at the time the longest running West End musical. Um, so it was very successful. Mm. Um, and they have since had a, uh, they did a the Regent's Park does these open air um, productions um, in London, and they had this production that was on in 2016, and it came back in 2007. It was very successful. Came back in 2017, and then did also did a season like indoors at the Barbican in 2019. So that production was very successful. Um, and then when we're talking about Australian productions, um, the original production opened here in 1972, and um, basically uh, was incredibly successful um, here, like really took Australia by storm. Uh, you know, John English was in the original cast who um, I happened to know when he was alive. I worked with him and my husband was uh, worked with him a lot, played for him a lot, played keyboards for him uh, in a show he did called The Rock Show. And, yeah, he was the original Judas in, in Australia and that really set his career off in Australia. Mm. And um, Marsha Hines replaced the original um, Mary here and when Marsha Hines replaced it, she was the first ever African-American woman to play Mary. That was quite a big deal at the time. Um, that hadn't happened previously. So that was, um, yeah, that was a big deal. And um, and then in 1992, the there was a massive arena production uh, that was at the Sydney Entertainment Centre. And that was uh, the one that when, you know, you mentioned John Farnham, that's the version that, that we know and love. And that was uh, this yeah this big sort of arena style concert version of the show where John Farnham was Jesus and and um you know John Stevens was Judas and um uh, Kate Sobrano was was Mary and that uh, was incredibly successful that production it was I mean it sold out weeks and weeks at the Sydney Entertainment Centre which is like a ten thousand seat you know venue and basically. That was a completely re- – the, all the orchestrations were reworked. Like it was a completely sort of reworked version. And even though those orchestrations are particularly kind of early 90s, you know, synth and pop sort of sounding, I think that recording still holds up to this day and it is my, personally my favourite recording of the show. That is the recording I had on cassette as a child. And, yeah, it's it's funny because I think if um, – uh, if you were a fan, a musical theatre fan growing up in America or in the UK, you wouldn't necessarily have listened to this version as your go-to version and therefore you haven't heard the different way that the show is performed, uh, which is, again, when you talk about John Farnham's voice, who I think has one of literally the best voices yeah, the best. in the entire world. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, just almost like unparalleled yeah. in the terms of the notes that he can hear. It's and just like it's not even human, his voice. It's not human. Yeah. It's not human. And I think, you know, it's one of those things where obviously he's this huge superstar in Australia, but like he's not that in other countries and it, we Which always, I guess, feel a, like he's one of our best-kept secrets, you know. I think that's really actually um, a proper tragedy. Like, I know there is actual world tragedy, but because he's, like, he was a lead singer of Little River Band for a really long time and they got really mm. big in the States, but somehow he just never made it bigger. Yeah. There. But, like, he's, yeah. he's honestly the best vocalist of all time. Like, he really yeah. is. Oh. 
And, you know, he basically notes that would otherwise be sung in falsetto. He belts, belts them out. the shit out of them. You know, like it's yeah. it's really quite incredible um, what he can do vocally. And, you know, if you YouTube him doing, well, I would say YouTube him doing Poor Jerusalem. I think yes. that's a really good intro into just a different take on, you know, it's not just about watching them all do the big scream in Gethsemane. Like literally look at Poor Jerusalem, a song like that, which he just, it's so sublime. I can't tell you. Well, because normally that song's sort of like it's such a non-event song. Like in, yeah, in the, yeah. It's if you haven't listened to this version yet, even not for any of the others. Sorry, John Stevens and everyone else, but like just listen to John Farnham as Jesus. Mm. Yeah, I would say his portrayal of Jesus is the most different to how to other recordings. You know, whereas whereas often. Judas is sung by quite a rocky voice. So even though I really love John Stevens' voice in it, and I actually, it's quite a bit rockier than, you know, say it, it was being done now, mm. how Ju- a Judas might sing it, it's still not as stark of a contrast than how John Farnham sings Jesus to how a lot of other people sing Jesus, I don't think. Um, and so, yeah, so that they did a recording of that. It's actually just a highlights recording. I, I would love to have the entire thing, oh, yeah. but it was always just a highlights recording that was commercially released. Um, but basically that uh, that recording, you know, it was, again, incredibly successful um, here in Australia. It is... Again, for any Australian musical theatre fan, that is the version of Jesus Christ Superstar that we know. You know, like that's the version that we all grew up listening to, you know. And in 1992, it was the highest selling album that year in Australia. And I I mean, I can't put too fine a point on the fact that a music theatre album was the highest selling album of 1992 in this country, which does not you know, foster, you know, musical theatre as a part of our education and curriculum in the way that America and the UK do. You know, it's really not as integral to our cultural, you know, framework as it is in those other countries. So the fact that that was the highest selling album of that year, I just think is quite astounding, well, really. Well, even like and it's not just music theatre, but it's also got Jesus in the title. That's Yeah, not like I, yeah. I just we're quite a secular country. Yeah, we are quite secular. Even then, like, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and it was number one for 10 weeks. You know, wow. it was, it's, it's really quite incredible. Oh, can um, I jump in on one thing? Yeah. Um, earlier you mentioned Marsha Hines, who is, mm. um, she's like an Australian American performer and you mentioned that she's African American, but I think she's Jamaican. Oh, okay. I, think her parents I, are Jamaican. I, I had seen it referenced a few times <sighs> I could, where she was referred to as African American. Right. I could be totally but, wrong. Like I know she was born in the yeah. States, but I think her parents were Jamaican, but anyway. Yeah, right. Um, it, it may be that instead they sort of see it as like the first like black, black person yeah. to play the role. Like that's essentially how it might have been seen at Which the time. Which is a huge deal for what, um, 1974 or? Yeah. yeah well, yeah, I think she, yeah, she replaced in 73 or 74 or something wow. like that. Amazing. Uh, 73, I think, yeah. And, um, you know, I then, so when I saw it in 1994, interestingly enough, it wasn't that original 1992 Sydney Entertainment Centre production, what had happened was that production had happened. New Zealand had then had its sort of its own production that had been, had used a lot of those orchestrations and and things, but in theatres, like it was a theatre production. John Stevens, um, uh, it then came back to Australia and John Stevens played Judas again. Um, but it was in New Zealand, it was um, Jay Lagaya, you know, who, you know, you would have seen in different things. He was on Play School, you know, definitely you would have seen him in things. I have such and, a crush um, on that guy. Like I have a mad Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and so when that then came back to Australia, it did sort of like a short tour around Australia in theatres. So I saw that at the State Theatre 
um, in Sydney in October in 1994. Um, my mum still had the she still had her diary. She told me I saw her on the 8th of October 1994. She still had the date written down, <laughs> which is quite incredible, really. Do you remember um, it? Do you have many memories? I, of it? Oh, I I do. I mostly the thing I most remember remember is the whipping um, scene. They use these laser lights, <laughs> and <laughs> you know it's funny. Yeah, it's funny. Like those things just stick in your head about staging. I remember stairs and Herod coming down, and obviously that's obvious. Often how Herod is staged, but yeah, it's like I, I specifically remember these laser lights and the whipping scene. Like I can think of that, you know, twenty five years later, I can wow. think of that. That's scene, pretty cool. You know? That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and um, and and Denny Hines, Marsha Hines' daughter, played Mary in that tour, which is also lovely. You know, um, yeah. So basically, um, just in terms of like some other, you know, fun facts. I mean, the other big production that um, people might be aware of is in 2018 NBC did like one of their live TV musical versions of it and um, John Legend was Jesus and Sarah Bareilles was Mary and uh, Brandon Victor Dixon was Judas and um, they just recently over Easter replayed it uh, you know, it was on TV here and over there and um, so a lot more people saw it than necessarily saw it at the time but uh, but yeah, it's um What did you think again, of that? Wasn't one? A, again I, I wasn't I mean it's God, doing a live TV version of these musicals, I know it is so hard. And I actually quite liked the production design of it and the choreography. Like there was definitely elements of it that I really enjoyed, but I, again, I just didn't feel like John Legend vocally was up to a lot of the high stuff, which is just so so integral to the role, you know. And, you know, he could have been sick or whatever, we don't know, but I still just don't think his voice was probably suited to it to start with. Um, and similarly, I remember the pilot, uh, the Pontius pilot had some, um, some dodgy notes, like dodgy notes as well. But then, you know, like... I actually thought Sarah Bareilles was a really great Mary. I really enjoyed her Mary. Um, and uh, Norm Lewis was Caiaphas, beautiful, deep voice, Norm, you know. So there, there was definitely some positives to it. But, yeah, on the whole, I think your Jesus just has to be yeah. top notch. And, yeah. and um, you know, it's funny. Again, John Legend, he has this, like, midsection of his voice that is beautiful and, like, silky. And, you know, those parts of the show, I was like, that's it sounds amazing. But... As soon as he had to get up high, it was just like, oh, this is, yeah, I'm not here for this. Do you feel like in, because in productions I've seen, it's always been just about Judas, like, oh, we'll cast like a really awesome Rocky Judas and the other roles are sort of secondary. And I know it is really a show about (laughs) Judas, but I feel like Jesus is really often like glossed over. Yeah. And I also think it depends on the production. Like I've really noticed, I've seen quite a few amateur productions as well over the years And depending on your production, you know, who the main character is can really change Mm. depending on your, like, like I do tend to see it very much as like, you know, Judas is the protagonist Mm. and like, I think Judas can really steal the show, um, you know, if he wants to. But yeah, sometimes um, if your Jesus is great, I saw an amateur production probably about five or six years ago in Sydney where the, the Jesus was just far superior to the Judas and really stole the show. You know, I really found myself feeling for him instead, you know, and um, yeah. So I do think it's interesting. It really depends on your staging. And again, you've got a lot, because it's a rock opera, you've got a lot of scope in terms of who is on stage when and what they're witnessing and, you know, like literally how much you put someone on stage can really change 
how much of a main character maybe the audience thinks they are or how much they had to do with it. So, mm. yeah, that that's sort of an interesting aspect of it. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, one of the things that I wanted to mention was that Andrew Lloyd Webber was only 20 and Tim Rice 24 when they started writing it. I mean, they're so young. So young. So young. It, it really is just insane when you think about it, you know, like just, just really such – like, yeah, young people. And um, the other thing was um, just literally in the last few weeks, this new cast recording has been released. Well, a studio album rather than cast recording, but like an all-female um, recording of it, uh, which, you know, Morgan James is uh, is Jesus and Shoshana Bean is Judas. And, and yeah, it's, um, it's definitely – it's on Spotify. Oh, they've only released, I think – the first five or six songs, but yeah, it's definitely, definitely worth listening to as another kind of version of Jesus Christ Superstar. Again, I, uh, I think that it's very specifically written to show off a male voice, Mm. Jesus and Judas. So yeah, it's a different take on it. It wouldn't necessarily be my preferred take. I can see like often a woman is cast as Annas because finding a man who can sing that high um, is is quite hard, especially if it's in an amateur production. So lots of amateur productions have a female Annas, and actually I think that works fine. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that um, is a detriment to the production. I've, I've never had a real issue with that. But Jesus and Judas, just personally, the way I like to hear that sort of score sung, I would prefer to hear two men singing it and the unique qualities of male voices personally. So, but yeah, definitely worth giving that one a listen. Um, some other stuff. It never won a Tony award. It's never won a Tony award. Oh, what? Um, That's crazy. Christ, never, not, not a single one in any of its um, revivals or anything. It would have been nominated um, though, right? Like for heaps. Yeah. Although it wasn't nominated for best musical. I think it was nominated for best score, that original production, oh. uh, but not best musical. And um yeah, it's been nominated for Best Revival a few times the, of the various revivals, but hasn't won. Jeez. And what what I did find fascinating, though, was in 1972, Andrew Lloyd Webber won the Drama Desk Award for Most Promising Composer. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I loved that. Oh. Um you know some fun, um, some fun other stuff uh, in the original Australian production. Graham Russell and Russell Hitchcock met and later formed Air Supply, like the the famed Australian that band is so Air cool. Supply. That's that's how they met. Was in the original Australian production of Jesus Christ Superstar. But they have good Jesus uh, Christ Superstar voices, like those. That's yeah, like, that's right. Spot on. Well, you know, uh, like yeah, you know, that original Australian production. I mean, some of those leads really have gone on to have incredibly successful careers yeah. in Australia. You know, Reg Livermore, obviously a big musical theatre star, was Herod, you know. Yeah, um, you know, I think yeah Reg, like John Paul I think, Young. Um, Reg Livermore is my husband's, like, uncle, like, in law. <laughs> it's, yeah, there's some weird connection there. It's really random. Oh, funny. That is random. <laughs> um, the Herod song, you know, the famous, and Herod obviously is that role that people like to stunt cast a bit or whatever because he's literally just on for that one song and then goes so you can kind of have some bizarre take and you know then they're gone kind of thing um so that they'd already written the music to that song um Angelo Weber and, and Tim Rice they'd already written that song it was called Try It and See <laughs> and it was a song that was a proposed British entry into the 1969 Eurovision Song Contest oh wow yeah yeah, to be sung by Lulu, who was like a, you know. Yeah, I love song. Lulu. To yeah. say we love Lulu. And, um, yeah, and so, um, yeah, like you can literally on, you can YouTube it, like them singing this song that was the original version. So the music is the same, it's just different lyrics, oh, obviously. Wow. 
But uh, yeah, it's quite amazing, really. Do you know what you the know? process was for like stopping that process and putting it into Jesus Christ Superstar instead? Like, well, what? I think I don't think it was chosen, so therefore, oh, or right. like they didn't get through or whatever, so therefore they just had the song. So <laughs> wow, you that's, know, that's such an yeah. iconic song too. Like, imagine if it hadn't. If it hadn't got into I know. the musical. I know. Because it's sort of like, like what the other... there's a lot of pathos otherwise. Like it's a really light moment. Yes, it's true. It does break up that second act yeah. um, in a way that's really important. And um, and so Helen Reddy recorded a cover of I Don't Know, Don't Know How to Love Him in 1971 and had released that as like a single and it started to chart. And so they were like, well, well why don't we just release the original as well as a as a single and see what happens and so they did they released the Yvonne Elliman version as well and they were both on the Billboard Hot 100 chart at the same time in 1971 which that's really rare that two versions of the same song you know are both uh charting at the same time so that was quite a big deal a version of just the worst song of all time like it is honestly (laughs) the most trash song it's funny I, I don't know what I don't know what you think about this but as much as I love this show obviously like to be a woman in this show oh, yeah. is like the most boring, like, <laughs> you know, it's hardly the most enlightened show as far as it comes to, uh, no. you know, male-female relations and, oh, and you know, that, that song, sort of like, thing. It's like not only like, do you have to be like this downtrodden, obviously a woman, you know, 2,000 years ago, but then you've got to sing that song. Ugh. Yeah, and I mean... Gross. Could we start again, please? As well, which was written, written literally, put into the Broadway product. Like it's not on the concept album, but I think they were like, "Oh, we're going to have to give Mary something else to do," you know, um, which is also pretty, like, you know, that's a point. Dour, yeah, Jeez. <laughs> plotting. So yeah, and then you know, I, you know, we we sort of talk about wanted to talk about like if you were listening to Jesus Christ Superstar for the first time and you'd never heard anything from it before, like what songs would you want to listen to as your kind of gateway songs into that show? And, you know, with this one, I think I have to go for sort of the most famous, what what I sort of would consider like the real standout, most famous songs in the show, just to give you a, a sense of the tone of the show and that sort of thing. So for me, that would be, you know, Heaven on Their Minds, mm. which, um, you know, starts the show Superstar, which is the finale, and Gethsemane, which is Jesus's big song, um, you know, um, those would be my picks just in terms of it, that would really, it gives you the language of the show. They're great. So they're all great songs. If it was my choice, you'd be listening to the 1992 Australian cast recording highlights. It's on Spotify. Uh, you know, I, uh, I implore you to listen to that version and hear John Farnham and John Stevens sing the shit out of everything. But yeah, that's, uh, that's Jesus Christ Superstar in a little nutshell. Wow. You know, actually, I have a question for you because um, the my introduction to this was a burnt copy. Sorry, any um, copyright police <laughs> listening right now. It was a burnt copy of some album. Like, And so when recently um, Shane and I were just listening to John Farnham do it, which is so seminal, you know, like just amazing. But the Heaven on Their Minds is my favourite song after Pilot's Dream actually in this musical. And Oh, yeah, interesting. Every single version that I've listened to is not the same as the one that I had, like my version that I had on CD. Yeah. And I don't know what, I don't know what it is because I it's in my head. I remember exactly how Heaven on Their Minds goes, but I've never been able to find it again. And I can't imagine what, oh, wow. what the recording is. And I've listened to like 15 different recordings, but I can't find this one that I can remember. Interesting. I, so, you know, I obviously ended up down a bit of a rabbit hole uh, researching this and there are like whole Jesus Christ Superstar forums and fan, you know, websites and things like this. 
this. And some of those have just like the amount of recordings that they have that you could have even thought of, you know, I'll, I'll see if I can find you a link and send you, and then you could just listen to all of them and see. Yes. But they do mention on one of those that back in the seventies, you know, it was like, people would just record stuff. Like you didn't have to sort of, it wasn't like they needed the rights to the whole show. They would just like record these essentially like bootleg versions of things and release them. And so, yeah, it did get recorded a lot to begin with, just literally just like this group of singers has recorded Jesus Christ Superstar. That's actually like randomly brought a memory up. Is this the... Is this the musical that, like, the Hoodoo Gurus did, like, a, a ba- like in their garage they did a recording of? Is it the Hoodoo Gurus? So there's um, there's a there's a story of, like, some Australian band just loved a musical so much that they just, like, recorded. They were, I'm sure it is this. Let me just, I'm just going to yeah, do a wow. Because it's a hilarious story that this band, like a rock band, just loved, I think, Jesus Christ Superstar so much that they just recorded it in their garage one day, like the whole thing. Yeah, wow. Um, it's, yeah, it's a funny one because I also know that, you know, the, like, there's also the film and there's also, the, well, there's a 1973 film, there's also a 2000 film. I didn't mention either of those. But they're also, you know, if you want to weigh into the show, you can also see those. Um, again, I think they both have their issues in lots of ways. I don't know if you've seen either of those, Josephine. But No, I haven't. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the 1973 one's like set in the desert. <laughs> And it's just very kind of bleak and whatever. The 2001 is this really kind of, it's um, the Gail Edwards, like Gail Edwards, Australian um, theatre director, Gail Edwards, yeah, yeah. Um, was sort of based on her um, production that she'd done around that time. And, yeah, there's some interesting choices in both of those. And they also released that tour that I saw that came to Australia with Tim Minchin in it. Um, they released a DVD version of that as well. Wow. So that also exists. You can watch that. Um, I just imagine that, that Andrew Lloyd Webber, like when he was 20, just just set himself up financially for life, hey? When you hear about all this, imagine the money. Well, when you hear about that and then you know that Phantom of the Opera has been running on oh, the West End God. and Broadway for over 30 years in both cases, yeah. you know? just just incredible. Uh, Do you know, I know if there was, was there any, like, religious backlash? There was. There was definitely, there was protests at the beginning by both, like, Christian um you know, Christians and also like uh, the Jewish community as well, who really felt like it was, there was some anti-Jewish sentiments in it too, or that it sort of didn't, seemed like the the Jewish characters in it were anti-Jesus. Like that was their, um, that was sort of how they sort of felt about it. And yeah, but definitely people who felt like it was, um, it was sacrilegious. Mm. Um, And even just some of the language used, I think was, was part of the issue and things like that. So I think over time, a lot of those uh, Christian groups have softened to the show. You know, it's 50 years old now. Um, Yeah, 50 years this year since the concept album. So, um, yeah, I think they have softened over time, but definitely in the beginning it was seen as a real kind of uh, anti-religion, you know, certainly they took exception with it. Wow. Not that, you know, anyone, you know, meant that in no. the way that they were doing the show. But, yeah, um, that interestingly, was how they took it. I think I told you this story, but, like, um, so because I grew up, like, way western New South Wales in the middle of nowhere, like proper country rural in the sticks. Um, but my mum, when she was in high school, so she went to a Catholic high school, 
And they, so this would have been in uh, 1974, they organised a trip for like the group of Year 12 students to go to, to, to fly to Sydney to watch the original Australian production of Jesus wow. Christ Superstar. And like this is a big deal for rural kids who'd never been on a plane before, like that was her first plane trip and she went and saw yeah. this production. Um, but apparently it was controversial, like a lot of parents didn't want to send their kids because, yeah, yeah, they didn't agree with musicals about Jesus and yeah. Yeah. I know that like Godspell, for example, is a whole lot more accessible and, and that from, yeah. So like, I think like that gets done a lot more if, you know, you wanted to do something that was or like children of Eden, you know, like there are, um, yeah, there are other musicals that are a bit more considered, uh, kinder if you will uh to the church but yeah i mean i don't see it as no. super anti-religious i mean i don't you know i don't think the book of mormon is either no. and and, I, and the mormon church has really embraced it as well so yeah i mean yeah i certainly it's sort of like it's a it's a very common story the jesus story like it's a it's sort of like the hero's journey that and it, it just feels like the musical is very separate from religion it just happens to be a really yeah. interesting entertaining story like yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that just that just happens to be the way they're telling this great rock rock opera. I think yeah. I don't think it's you know setting out to make a point about. I mean, I, I and I I do think it's important for us all to think about figures and why someone might see them as a Jesus type, you know, <laughs> yes. um, and really what could be going on. And I, like that, I just think that's important with critical discourse anyway. So, you know, yeah, I certainly have nothing against it from that point of view. So it actually really uh, surprises me that this is your second choice as your second favourite musical. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't me. call it my second favourite musical probably, but it's definitely, like, in my top ten. Wow. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and um, but I thought, it was, you know, we've just had Easter. Oh, yeah, true. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a good time to talk about it, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, otherwise... And we can't pick sometimes every week. No, you know? we just can't. We just can't, <laughs> Ruth. Stop it. No. Oh, that was good. That was really good. I'm actually going to listen to um, that John Farnham version when I get off. Yeah. And YouTube what you can as well. Like that original, that um, 92, not original, 92 Sydney Entertainment Centre version, like a, it's all on YouTube. Like they they, wow. they filmed it. It's on YouTube. Did he, and have, so a, did he have the Definitely mullet? watch you, what you can. Oh, it's incredible. The hair, I mean, the costumes are so bad. I can't tell you how bad the costumes are. But the just listen to the vocals. The vo- it, Everything's about the vocals, you know. 1992. None yeah. of us looked good then, to be honest. No, that's right. <laughs> All right. Is it my turn? It's your turn. Okay. Hello. Hello, Ruth. I would like to tell you about my obsession at the moment. And interestingly, I, as you were talking about Jesus Christ Superstar, I realized this is also a musical that began as a concept album. Yes, very true. Yeah, very yes. true. That so, can, that's our theme for the That week. is our theme, unintentional theme. The musical I'm going to talk about is Hades Town. Oh, Excellent. It's so good. Okay. So, um, I'll just give a really brief synopsis of what is quite an intricate story. So Hades Town, it's set in like this Great Depression sort of post-apocalyptic uh, New Orleans jazz sort of uh, setting, really random. Um, 
And so you have this narrator who is uh, the god Hermes, the messenger god, introduces all the characters and it's really the main players are Hades and Persephone and Orpheus and Eurydice. So the basic story is that um, the world is really harsh and the weather is not behaving properly and there's no seasons and and everyone's, you know, hungry and poor and it's a terrible world. Um, and Orpheus, as this man who's like a, he's a musician and he's really idealistic, he's trying to write a song that will fix the problems with the world. Like he really sort of passionately believes in his art and thinks that his song is going to fix the seasons and like bring spring back to the world. So there's harvest and flourishing and blooming. And anyway, he meets Eurydice this sort of practical um, down-on-her-luck girl and and they start to fall in love. Well, actually, he's sort of really weirdly forward about it. Um, and so they meet and, you know, he's trying to write this song and in the meantime we find out that Hades and Persephone, sort of this famous um, mythological story, is slightly changed from the original. But um, Persephone is the queen of the underworld and she lives down in the underworld with Hades. Uh, but half of the year she's supposed to come up into the real world and sort of bring spring with her but things have not been going so well because their marriage is a bit on the rock so she doesn't show up in time to bring spring so she only ever sort of brings some with her and it's you know like there's no seasons there's no harvest and then he arrives and rips her from the world early so then winter comes and winter goes forever and everyone's really hungry and sad and um basically Eurydice is starving at the end towards the end of act one she's really hungry because they're in winter and Hades sort of gives her a bargain where he says like if you come down to Hades town with me like I'll feed you and you'll you'll you know you'll be safe and whatever and she does because she's desperate so she goes down to Hades town with him and you sort of like you, you the whole point is that you, you can't just come and go from Hades because it's the underworld. So she off she goes and then Orpheus finds out that she's gone and he goes to he goes to rescue her and he sings his amazing song and he gets led into Hades town and then then all hell breaks loose because in Hades town like there's all these workers who are mistreated. Like it's really actually quite a commentary on how to mistreat workers and why you should form a labor union. But anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> the um, Orpheus sings his magical song to Hades to try and convince Hades to let Eurydice out so that they can go and frolic in the world and be happy. And so he sings this beautiful song and reminds Hades that, you know, it's not all about manufacturing and mistreating workers and the reason why he fell in love with his wife to begin with. And, um, man, I am really lumping it all into a really simplified <laughs> plot, aren't I? But basically um, Hades is in a really bad spot because Orpheus has come down to the underworld and he's sort of created like, yeah, this this pseudo labour movement where all of the workers are starting to agitate for, you know, better rights. So Hades, he on one hand really wants to let the lovers go because he's, you know, he's heard this beautiful song and he's been reminded of the beauty of his wife and, and love and life. But he doesn't want to be like a weak leader. So he gives them this, uh, you know, this, oh, what, what is the word for it? Like a test, a trial? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says to them, you can leave, but you can't walk together out of Hades town. You've Orpheus has to walk in front and Eurydice has to walk behind and Orpheus can't hear or see her and he can't turn around to check that she's there until they're out. And if he turns around to check if she's there, then he will take... Um, you really see away and they'll never see each other again. Um, sad, sad, sad. And then, of course, he turns around at the very end and they're... Yeah, spoiler alert. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I should have... <laughs> yes. 
he turns around <laughs> and they can't ever be together again and that's sort of it. That's it. That's the story. Yeah. It sounds really yeah. It sounds really tragic and it is tragic, but it's not, I don't know, it's not that yeah. negative, I suppose. And it, so it's sort of a mishmash of a bunch of different Greek myths, right? Yeah, well, in terms of, and not that there's such a thing as sort of like truth in mythology anyway, because there's so many different versions of all of these myths, but there is a lot of um, a lot of liberty taken with the most popular agreement of the myths. Like the Hades and Persephone myth, for example, is not quite how it's um represented in Hades town like most people agree that Hades probably just sort of grabbed Persephone and there's a famous sort of sculpture I actually can't remember who the sculptor was it's called the rape of Persephone because a lot of a lot right. of mythologists sort of think that Hades actually just took her from where she was and and brought her down to the underworld but Hades town sort of paints it as this consensual lovely marriage that has really just gone off track after a long long time like it, it's this really cool sort of jewel story about new love with Eurydice and Orpheus and old love and how to like find your way back to love at the same time. So I quite like the take because I'm a romantic at heart. I like the take on the Hades and Persephone mythology. And Mm. I think the Eurydice and Orpheus story is slightly different in different versions, but it always ends up the same. They don't end up together in any version. So yeah, right. (laughs) But I think, I don't know, like I think the original intention was like the folly of man and, and the hubris of man and how crappy humans are, but it's not like that in Hades town. I feel like it's, it's more of a comment on, well, probably doubt, but also, yeah, like, um, the world sort of being too too much or too negative or too like whatever for yeah yeah so that's yeah, that's a sure. really simplified story like plot um but why I love this musical so I actually chose it because and I don't think I've told you this Ruth but I was on a scrolling Instagram one day when I was really bored and I found like this video you know they put those tiny little clips on Instagram of the cast from Hades Town performing on like some American morning show and I only just saw really briefly um Eva Noblezada um singing uh, just yeah. a small section and I'd never heard it before so I straight away went to Spotify and listened to the whole thing and fell just instantly in love and it's been actually a really long time since I've fallen in love with a new musical that I have mm. that has no context for me like I just found that straight away I loved the music and I'm I I love the mythology like I love Greek mythology I'm really interested in it I'm not a buff by any standards but I really just loved everything about it straight away which is rare was it her doing the Wait For Me reprise? <laughs> yes. I just, her voice in that is like otherworldly. It's so good. She is insane. She's insanely yeah. talented. Yeah. I uh, I saw her as Kim and Miss Saigon, both in London and New York. And she just, I mean, talk about, she was just, she's such a powerhouse. She was incredible. Yeah. Incredible. And she's so young. Like she's really young. So young. Oh. She's like in her early 20s now. Yes. No, she was amazing. So that's what brought me into it. And then um, I sort of love, I really love the dystopic New Orleans, like jazz folk vibe that it's got going for it. Like the the music is quite unique in that for a musical. It's not, um, it's not your typical sort of ballad, you know, uh, music theatre feel. It's very, it's very different musically. And I like that very much. It's also sung through, right? Like same as Superstar, it's yeah, there's no dialogue. That's right. So yeah. she, the author, 
the composer, and I'll tell you about her in a bit, she calls it a, I think she calls it a folk opera as opposed to like a rock that. opera because yeah. it is like it's not a rock opera in, in um, you know, like in the, the purest sense of the word, but um, it is sung through. Um, so, yeah, the composer, her name is Anais Mitchell, and she's actually quite yeah. young herself, and this is one of those very rare musicals that is called Father, Son, Holy Spirit musical, which means it's like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, like she wrote... I love that term. Yeah, so she wrote the music, the lyrics, and, and the book. And obviously she had collaboration along the way from um, Rachel Chavkin, I think, is the director. The director. Yeah, so yeah. she collaborated a lot on, you know, um, storyline and stuff as well as direction, but... Anais Mitchell really did create the whole thing. And that, I think, and I want to pick your brains, Ruthie, about this because I think there is no other woman who's done that. Yeah, it certainly um, certainly none, like, sort of famously that I'm yeah. aware of. Uh, All I could find, yeah. I found um, a reference to Jill Santoriello, I think I'm pronouncing that right, mm-hmm. wrote the... Um, Music and lyrics to Tale of Two Cities, but that's not. Oh, okay. Like yeah. That's not an original. But that's not story. the book. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that's true too. That's probably about as close. But yeah, like amazing. So she. Um, it's also just um, not very common these days no. for someone to write all three, or even you know back in the day it wasn't that common either. Yeah. But. Well, if you look into it, like the list is pretty short of even men who've like, done ha- it. Ham- like Lin Manuel wrote all three for Hamilton, right? <sighs> I think. Oh. Yeah, I think so. I think, I'm pretty sure Yeah, he I did. think you're right. And then, like, we'd be talking about, yeah. say, Jason Robert Brown, Jonathan Larson maybe for Rent, although that's mm. a bit contentious because there's a lot of um, collaboration there. Leslie Bracus maybe did it a couple of times. Well, and, and Oliver. Oliver um, Lionel Bart. Bart. And the guy Oliver's sort of. Who wrote Music Man. I think that's the other one. Meredith. Wilson. Yeah, Wilson. Yeah. yeah. So it's not it's yeah. not super common. And particularly I think it's it's worth noting that this is a female doing this. Like Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So she um she's American. And this is sort of her only musical that she's ever written, but I think that's because she's so young and this has been a passion project for like it's it's like twelve years in the making. So it started out mm. it started out, you know, like as um I believe they did like a, a random production of something like what it is now in Vermont where she's from and then it turned into a concept album and then that has eventually grown into the production that we know now which opened on Broadway in March of last year of 2019 so it's still like in its very early stages I think but it's been workshopped pretty consistently since 2006 so what we know Mm. now is is like very much a developed version of the musical um and I haven't seen it and what what really pains me about this is I know you have Ruth. I have, in fact I've seen it twice. Ugh. I don't mean to <laughs> I don't mean to rub your face in things Ugh. and I don't mean to rub uh, any listener's face in things. I do get to see a lot of things and I I'm sorry if you're jealous. I saw it at the National Theatre in London uh, before they went to Broadway and I've seen it on Broadway. Uh, and it was incredible both times. Sometimes you um, make me sick. So I apologise. It's not enough. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, so what's outstanding about this, I think, is it was nominated for an, a, like an obscene amount of Tonys. I think it was like 14 Tony nominations it mm. got and it won like eight of them. So it, it won Best Musical in 2019, which by all accounts yeah. is like, because a lot of the time the Best Musical is quite a contentious award and there's a lot of disagreement. But I think 
by all accounts that I've read or listened to, this was pretty well agreed upon that Hades Town deserved yeah. that. That it was it was a pretty clear clear favorite yes. last year. I think like everyone really knew it was going to win. Yeah. yeah, and like once you listen to it, you will understand why. But it won best musical. It also won best original score, best set design, best lighting design, best sound design, best direction, best orchestrations, and Andre De, De Shields won best actor. He's Hermes, yeah. who is just like he's a real sort of magical unicorn oh, of a yes. of a performer in person. You know, he just seems. Yeah. Yeah. Like where like do you find really a performer a like that? Really a sparkly, shiny, you know, just a, a presence on stage. Yeah. Yeah. He's like a proper, yeah, just he is awesome. So he definitely deserved that award because and that like I love that it's I think because I, I haven't listened extensively to the concept album, but I think he what he brought to it as a narrator, like a lot of people roll their eyes at the at the divisive narration, but I think he and that character, it's such a successful use of narration. Like, and it's, it's almost got this like almost this rap quality to the way he, like to his lilting voice, um, which is it's mainly spoken throughout, but it's a really, it's a really well-placed device, I think. Yeah. In the show. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So um, the score is really this like New Orleans sort of like muted brass, like sort of vibe. I, I had trouble really like nailing it down. I think that's the closest I can come to a proper explanation of the mm. genre, but I think it's like it's quite unique in that sort of like rocky at times, uh, folky. Yeah, I, I love all the, the close harmony stuff like that the fates do. Like that's so specific in its sound, I think. Yeah. Um, I think that's a beautiful style. Yeah. As well. I agree. Yeah. And also like it really shows off the performers in the in the Broadway cast at the moment are just all top of their game. Like those those three fates, so there's three female characters of the fates who are sort of throughout um, the show and their harmonies are just beautiful. Like they're so beautiful. Mm. Which is kind of like a, I mean, it's such a common thing in musical theatre, right? Like the, th- the the female, three female member Greek chorus style, yeah. you know, backup, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's so common yes. in various shows. It's sort of, but, it's um, interesting because yeah. there's elements of this show that are really familiar. Like there's so much of it that you go, oh, like this is just, a, it's a lovely musical that I understand these mm. devices, like narration. And yeah, you're right with the three female characters, but then so much of it is is so, I think, groundbreaking. Like the... The ensemble itself is quite small um, and they don't really, because I've seen some recordings of like um, of the actual production and you could fill me in on this better, Ruth, but it's not like um, traditional representations of action. Like I know the workers when they're down in Hades town sort of labouring, it's very sort of metaphorical movement and so a lot of what the ensemble do is is just not like in-your-face music theatre necessarily. Yeah, it's it's really not. I think that the the direction and staging of the show and and you know, vast choreography as well is the thing that sets it apart in terms of like not just the sound of the show being sort of non-traditional musical theatre, but the way that it's staged is just it, it is be- it's it is literally visually beautiful. Yeah. And also, yeah, as you say, like very metaphorical. I mean, the thing that I remember the thing that I really took away from it, seeing it in London um, the first time, and obviously it was a different ensemble than we're in it in New York, uh, was how uh, all of those ensemble members were just like not types, like not, it was just clearly like they obviously just, 
wanted it to be a diverse and also diverse, not just in terms of like cultures and race, but in terms of body types and heights and, Mm. you know, like, uh, yeah, it's just really quite amazing. They just obviously wanted like really dynamic performers and for that to be a real melting pot and the workers, you know, and obviously they like, there would be people there who still also have to say understudy a fate and understudy the lead roles. So, you know, there needs to be certain things like roles that they fill, but yeah, it was just a really sort of diverse cast and I loved that about it. Um, Do you, yeah, did you get right the vibe the beginning. too? Cause you've seen it, but I, from listening to it extensively, cause I'm obsessed. I get the feeling too, that every <laughs> actor in this cast is like, it's quite a cohesive cast in like relationally as well. Like you just get the sense that they are such a unit and they're so united, yeah. like including the band, cause the band are on stage for the duration of the show. Like it just feels like everyone is so cohesive. Yeah, well, I would say that, um, yes, definitely, and it's quite a small cast as well, like compared to a sort of a big Broadway musical. But um, the way that Rachel Chavkin directs, so her other big, um, you know, show was Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, which is a war and peace adaptation that was on Broadway a few years ago. Um, it's, again, I would say that those two shows are some of the only Broadway shows I've seen in the last few years that you really do feel like you're in amongst what's happening like they're just they're very welcoming you feel like you're what's happening on stage is happening I mean literally in Natasha and Pierre like they I sat on stage they had audience on stage as part of that show Mm. um but it's just the way that they she stages things you just feel like you're part of the world and that the world is kind of happening around you even if it's not physically happening around you you know you can sort of you just it's very sort of um literally immersive yeah well amazingly i think that translates even in something as removed Mm. as the cast recording like it it just really feels yeah so it's incredible um I don't have many fun facts because, I mean, it hasn't existed for very long, so I couldn't find... No, it's a, I guess it's a relatively new show. Yeah, yeah. like all I could think of was um, the current um, Eurydice and Orpheus, well, I suppose they originated the roles on Broadway. Uh, Reeve Carney plays Orpheus and he was um, Spider-Man, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and um, Eurydice is Eva, Eva Noblezada, so she, who we've already talked about, but she's like um, just a one to watch like she's just phenomenal and she started out sort of it's a really cool rags to riches story I think of like a Mm. a Broadway performer because I believe she was like a high school student and she entered one of those like American music theater competitions and was sort of spotted there and then got got really shout out to the Jimmy Awards (laughs) the Jimmy Awards that's right thanks Ricky (laughs) yeah but she got sort of like earmarked for um Miss Saigon for the role of Kim um, sort of chucked into the ensemble of Les Mis for a while and then on she went as Kim um, on the West End and, like, the, it's just been yeah. strength, strength to strength. Like, I think she played Kim yeah. for quite a long time, didn't she? Yeah, she did. She did it both in London and and on Broadway when it moved to Broadway because she's American so she could come back and play it in, in America. Um, and she did a little stint as Eponine in Les Mis in the middle of the two. Yeah, of course, as you yeah. do. Um, yeah. But I, so yeah. they, anyway, Eva and Reeve are together in real life, which I think is cute. It's a cute little story. Very cute. Um, but my, like, my personal favourite is um, Andre de Shields in the cast anyway. Like, he is dynamite. Um, but I think if you are, if you don't know Town and you want, like, a little gateway, it's difficult with a rock opera um, to find a gateway song. But definitely for me it was Wait for me, reprise, which is like the the fourth mm. to last 
song because it is really, um, it shows off her vocals, but it also just has sort of all of the elements together from the show in one spot. But I also really love the opening song, which is called Road to Hell, because you get a really good, like, it's it's really that classic like Greek chorus introduction to a story. So you get that that sense of this is a this is a, a telling of a Greek myth through really traditional chorus sort of um, devices. So I like that, and I also like Way Down Hades Town just for the fun of mm. of that sort of like Great Depression era honky tonky music. Yeah, yeah. Patrick Page's voice, oh. that like beautiful deep bass voice, is just yeah. So he I mean, plays it's, Hades. It's so different as well, you know. So different, and I think because I, I was listening to it one day in the early days when I first started listening, and Shane, my husband, just happened to walk into the room and he was like, "What is that voice?" It was Patrick Page yeah. as Hades, and it's so resonant and deep and sexy that you just like, yeah. Yeah. He was also in Spider-Man, by the way. Was he really? He was the Green Goblin. Yeah. So it's a bit of a reunion for them. Yeah. That's hilarious. I think he's like, yeah. he's quite a, an accomplished Shakespearean actor. Yeah. I mean, I love, he's on that, the new recording they did of Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh. Um, he's Frollo. Yeah. I mean, again, like using that beautiful deep bass voice yeah. um, as as a baddie. I think he plays a baddie <laughs> fairly cool. often. Yeah, you, you couldn't know. have. I mean, yeah. people with no. deep voices don't have good intentions. So. That's the no, way it works. that's right. Um, so, I actually really love um, Amber so Gray as Persephone as well because she's got this like this like drunk like aunt feeling about her. You know, like she's like this loose cannon sort of. I don't know. She does this really good imp- impression of a person who's drunk most of the time and and is just like a bit dissatisfied with her lot. So she does that really yeah. well, I think. And the first act ends with her being like, you know, does anyone need a drink? Yes. It's oh, like that's how the first act ends. She's such a badass. Yeah, yeah, it's a great moment. Yeah, yeah. I, she's she was also like I know both times I saw it. By the end, she was just like openly sobbing on stage, uh, and I just always like I just like it's almost sick. But I just love it when people are just so open yeah. emotionally on stage that they can just do that like eight shows a week. Yeah. you know. Gosh, imagine that! How exhausting yeah. that would be. I know. <sighs> It'd be just. So full on. I would have to go and sit in a dark room for like five hours to yeah. recover from that. And she's like got kids and stuff, you know. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I know. so it's intense. I um yeah, Hades Town, man. It's it could be it could be my new actual favorite, and not that I think. Well, that's a big call. I know. Josephine. Well, not that I think anything could ever surpass Sunday in the Park with George because of, of the nostalgia as well that I feel about it. Yeah. But. This is pretty good. It's a pretty good musical. Yeah. It's always hard if, like, you see something new for it to sort of work its way up your list because it's exactly. like, but I have this, I have I have 30 years of history with this other show. Yeah. Well, just imagine you know. how good it must be that in, like, I don't know, five months or whatever I've known it, it's already worked its way up potentially yeah. to sit up with. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So that yeah, was a bastardization of Hades Town. <laughs> Amazing. I can't wait for you to get to see it. Oh, I hope I do. I really hope I do. Yeah. You definitely will. Come on, New York. We're all gunning for you. Yeah. That's right. Actually, that's, that's um, right. that sort of brings me to a new section that I'd like to introduce, which is like we can't talk about shows that we've seen lately because we haven't no, seen anything. So we haven't. I reckon, I don't know about you, but, I mean, I reckon this is the longest it's been since I've seen something since I was probably a teenager. 100%. You know, like I just... I would see something every week or two easily, if not twice a week, you know. What were we? Normally. We were supposed to see something when we, uh, like we've. 
well, a chorus line chorus at line. Darlinghurst Theatre, yeah, got cancelled, um, sadly. They're hoping that's going to be the show that reopens them, though, yeah. um, that they'll put it back on. I really hope so, too. Apparently it was a beautiful production. Um, I love a chorus yeah, line. Yeah, that was, that was definitely same. Yeah, that was definitely... Um, that was definitely one that I was looking forward to. Mm. I mean, yeah, everything's been shut down. So. so if that's the case then, like maybe I could I could introduce a new section where we talk about how we're supporting artists maybe during a lockdown or how are we how are we able to Yeah. I don't know. What, are you doing anything particular? Well, I know before they announced they were going to re-put on a chorus line like um we had said that we would donate our tickets which is what a lot of the theatre companies are doing right now like if, if you had tickets for something um you obviously have you could have a refund if you really needed it that they're not going to deny you that but if you are able to give your ticket cost as a, as a donation to the theatre um they would obviously be very grateful for that so that uh, was our intention there they've since said you know we're planning to put it back on it can be a ticket for that production kind of thing. So, you know, we, we said yes to that. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, other than that, like there's been a, quite a few of these, you know, pay a nominal amount. There's a live stream on of something or, you know, uh, these live like uh, stars in the house and things for the Actors Fund and a few of those that, um, you know, have really been worth like tuning into. And then, you know, if you can only just chuck a couple of dollars in, you know, that's still really worth doing. Yeah. Um, we, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've been enjoying the ways that people have been able to be creative online. Yeah. Definitely. We watched, um, and probably a lot of other people did too, a production of Orphans on, um, it was actually produced by the Old Fits down in Melbourne. Um, it was two sort of Australian actors. Sydney? Oh, Old Fits in Sydney? Oh, is it? Yeah, actually you're right. Yeah, Red Line. Yeah, Red yeah line. you're right. Red Line. Learn your capital cities, dum-dum. Um, <laughs> but we watched it. It was, it was really cool. It was like um, these two Australian actors plus Alec Baldwin and I don't have the names of, of those actors. Just, just a casual Alec Baldwin. I know. And I there. suppose like this is the perfect time to say, well, Alec Baldwin, what are you doing right now? You're just doing nothing at home. Yeah. Why don't you just log on and perform a part that you've done on Broadway so you know it? Yeah. Like, it was really cool. And did you see that? They're doing another one with Rose Byrne in it. I don't know what play it is, oh, but they're doing another one with Rose Byrne in it. That's yeah. super cool. Well, I mean, like you said, yeah. we just we bought tickets online because um, it was like, you know, pay whatever you can. And so we, we could. So we bought tickets and we watched it and it was really entertaining and really awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think... I'm really looking forward next week is the... Uh, Son, the Sondheim 90th birthday celebration. Oh, really looking forward to that. Because obviously they could get a whole lot more people, really, because they're just recording from their homes, you know. That's right. Like So it's a it's a real star-studded thing. Oh, I can't wait for that. And then was there yeah. an announcement recently, like a collaboration between Ariana Grande and um, Jason Robert Brown? Yeah, J- J- Jason Robert Brown's doing a concert with, um, with her and with Shoshana Bean because <laughs> uh, he does these monthly – Jason Robert Brown's another one of our favourite yeah. composers, Josephine, and I share that. You'll be hearing and, about uh, him later. <laughs> and um, basically he does these monthly concerts at a um, 
theater and sort of space in New York called Subculture. And um, he's been doing them for years. And so this month's concert is going to be online instead. So So, cool. And yeah, Ariana Grande was in the original Broadway cast of his show 13 back when she was 13 years old. So um, yeah, so she's doing this. So they've remained friends ever since. Yeah, I reckon a lot of people don't know that. Like I reckon that's. Yeah, that she started in musicals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. Are I you know. a fan of hers? Yeah. Do you like her? Oh, I mean, like, it's, I mean, I wouldn't say I listen to her pop music because that's just not really my style of music, but I think she's incredibly talented. I mean, I think her voice is very good. Yeah, yeah. I'm the same. Yeah. I don't like she her. She has a, a great instrument. The, my only real reference point is that I sometimes watch her, like, on Jimmy Fallon or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. She's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Have you been listening to anything else recently? What have I been listening to? Um, well, embarrassingly, because I know you will judge me on this, so I'd never seen the movie movie, movie musical The Music Man. Um, because <laughs> I'm like I'm, I used to be obsessed with movie musicals um, when I was a child, and I've seen a whole lot more than you have, Ruth. I reckon. Mm. But lately, because yeah, definitely, because we I think we've exhausted Netflix a little bit for viewing. Um, Shane and I have taken turns to what to like choose a different movie musical to watch every night. So my first one was I made oh that's so I, cute. I made Shane watch Seven Brides for Seven Brothers because yeah. I'm obsessed with it, even though it's very problematic. And so then he made me watch The Music Man and. I sort of loved it. Yeah, right. And I was... That's amazing. I was Do I need to watch it now? Well, yes. Like... Yeah, I've never seen The Music Man on stage either. No, nor have I. I have a list of uh, best musical Tony winners uh, that I haven't seen wow. and it's on there. Well, yeah. so the thing about it I thought was that it's definitely too long. Like, it could have really been edited they could have lost a few unnecessary songs, but it's such a classic. And I know in the States, for example, it's sort of like up there with The Sound of Music or The Wizard of Oz as like... Yeah, it's a real classic thing. Yes. Yeah. So, and there's obviously a reason for that. And the guy who plays Harold Hill, who's the main character, his name's Robert Preston, and he is just mm. so dynamic. And so, like, as I, I, as I do when I watch things, I get onto Wikipedia and just, like, fall down a hole yeah. of information. They... Because the show was on Broadway to begin with, um, and this guy Robert Preston you know played the lead role and then they decided to make a movie of it and um the role was offered to like Bing Crosby who turned it down and then Frank Sinatra wasn't interested and then Cary Grant um turned it down and they (sighs) and Cary Grant was like you cannot have this musical without Robert Preston we insist that yeah wow so and they didn't like the studios didn't want to because he was just an unknown Broadway star and I don't think he really went on to do any other movies like I'm saying that and I have no idea but um, he's so good. He's so good in it. And Shelley Jones is in it. And I really like her because of Oklahoma. You love Shelley Jones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except for Carousel. Yeah, uh, Screw you, Carousel. <laughs> I've uh, I've been listening kind of aptly to Groundhog Day. I just, the musical version of Groundhog Day, I just, someone mentioned it and I thought, yep, that's what I need to listen to right now. And there's some poignant stuff in it. I bet. <laughs> For right now, so do you uh, feel like yeah, you're in a time loop? Is that are you stuck yeah, in a definitely. time loop? <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> oh god. Oh dear. Well, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, thanks for listening. This has been fun. Um, it has. Yeah, Ruth. I. It's always a pleasure. I just wish I it could is. give you like a closing hug. I know. If only it was in person. Do you find that you are now stressed when you watch like TV or movies or something and you see yeah, people? Yeah, hundred percent. 100%. It's really weird. 
Like, stop yeah. it. Yeah. Stop touching each other. Yeah, I know. Well, uh, until next time. Yeah, see y'all. Bye. Bye.